Good morning. It's a special treat for me to be able to share with you today from one of my all-time favorite passages, a section I like to call The Psychology of Paul. I'm not sure how long ago it was when I fell in love with Paul's words in Philippians, especially chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Others call the last chapter of Philippians closing appeal for steadfastness and unity. In your Bible, there might be a different title for this last segment. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God because we are involved in spiritual warfare. Sometimes in the morning when I leave my bedroom after reading my Bible and praying, I think of the armor and how I will need it to face the day. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Philippians 4 tells us we need to put on the mind of Christ because that is where the battle happens. We struggle daily with all that is thrown at us. There are days when I would like to be able to turn off my mind. Those days are when I look at our cute little boxer puppy and tell her, Bella, you are lucky to be a dog and not have to deal with the human mind. Our puppy has no idea how tough life can be. Paul knew how tough life can be, and he wanted to help us through it. This whole letter to the Philippians is Paul's sound advice. Advice is often given when we've lived through something. We give advice when we've learned something simple or complex. For those of us who are mothers, we love giving advice to our children. We ourselves have been through adolescence and school and homework and friendships. So we try to advise our children about all of it. Sometimes our advice is accepted, but many times our kids seem to want to make their own mistakes instead of following from our experiences. For those of us who like to cook and try new recipes, we advise others about what not to do in the kitchen and what works. I think we advise because we don't want others to make the same mistakes we have. We advise with the hope that we can protect. Paul had become an expert, so to speak, because of what he had lived through. He'd been an enemy against Jesus. Then he met Jesus, had his name changed from Saul to Paul, and later was imprisoned because of sharing about Jesus. He had, as we say, learned a thing or two from his experiences. Later in this chapter, he talks to the church about contentment and what he has learned and how he has learned how to be content with whatever trials he faces. What else did Paul know? The same thing we know today. We are in a warped and crooked generation. He has already stated this in chapter 2. Society is not for us, but rather against those who want to follow Jesus. We see sin all around us. 
We see others not wanting us to worship God or chastising us for having faith in God. Circumstances, even though his were undesirable, poor and lacking, didn't seem to bother Paul. He was in prison and chained to a guard. He was faced with the possibility of being killed in the near future. And he had learned how to rise above his dire circumstances. He had learned that the battle is often in the mind. And if he set his mind on things that are praiseworthy, he would not only be okay, but he would be able to thrive. So let's take a look at today's passage. Let's read from the verses. Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. I plead with Erodia, and I plead with Sintichi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This portion of Philippians is in sync with the rest of the book, which is how to live in this corrupt world and keep a healthy ministry, have a Christ-like attitude and get along with each other within the church. The local church had some clear interpersonal conflict with these two women Paul names at the beginning of the chapter. Paul pleads with these women to get along. He even stresses how valuable they are. That's good psychology. Paul is advising his readers on what to think and how if we put what he has learned into practice, we will receive a priceless gift. That gift is God's peace. Paul mentions what to think on and omits the things not to think about. Here he doesn't provide a checklist of what not to do. He doesn't say, don't give in to greed, jealousy, gossip, pride, and anger. This isn't a passage about the seven deadly sins. Instead, he's upbeat and focused on the positive. In prison, I bet he had a lot of time to learn that the focus had to be positive in order to get through each day. He tells us to have the mind of Christ and gives us advice on how to go about achieving this. He tells his readers to think of whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these. Perhaps he hasn't covered it all, so he adds, if the church in Philippi has learned other things or heard or received more from him that he hasn't mentioned, then put all of that into practice as well. This has worked for him. He wants Christians to not needlessly have to experience turmoil in the mind. Paul is all about helping others. At the end of this portion we're looking at today, we see what will happen when we have the mind of Christ. And the peace, the gift of peace, the peace, not that the world gives, that fleeting peace that is here today and gone tomorrow, but the peace that comes from God will be with you. Peace. I want to talk about this widely used word in scripture. The Hebrew word for peace is one we are all familiar with, and that is shalom. Shalom is a strong word, and when you look at the definition of it, you see that it encompasses harmony, wholeness, completeness, welfare, prosperity, and tranquility. It can be used idiomatically to mean both hello and goodbye. It's also used as a blessing a manifestation of divine grace. John Eady, the biblical scholar, tells us that the Greek equivalent of shalom is a term of familiar and beautiful significance. It includes every blessing, being and well-being. Cornelius Plantinga wrote that shalom means the way things ought to be. So when people use the word shalom and say it to each other, they are saying just as it ought to be. Back in the Garden of Eden, there was shalom. But because of sin, the shalom with God was broken. Suddenly there was turmoil. Thankfully, God has restored shalom in the places where it was broken. He's restored it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This peace that the Bible talks about is available to us. We can have this state of well-being and this attitude of peace because we have been restored with God and forgiven by God. In the Bible, there are many references to peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on thee, from Isaiah 26, verse 3. Peace be with you. Jesus said this when he entered the room where the disciples were in fear after his death and resurrection. We find this account in the Gospel of John. Pursue peace. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's from Psalm 34, verse 14. And Psalm 37, verse 37 says, Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. Why is peace vital? How do we cultivate it? Invite it into our daily lives. How do we deal with our anxieties and pursue the peace of God? Let's go back to our minds. What are we letting in? What do we spend time thinking about? What do we keep out? How can we be people who train our minds to travel down avenues that are good for us by thinking thoughts 
that lead us to that peace-filled life. C.S. Lewis wrote, God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. I've read articles by psychologists who stress how worrying steals from our days and how much of what we worry about never happens. There are all types of worriers, and no one says that carrying the burden of stress is a good thing. But seldom do the articles mention putting on the mind of Christ and how that benefits the human spirit. There are tips and advice on how to get through stress, but so many do not read Philippians 4 to see how our minds are made to need the gospel so that they can be set in the healthiest direction. As Christ seekers, we have learned, like Paul, how to use our minds to ponder on God, who is our shalom. I want to end with a little assignment that deals with ways to help us overcome our worry and fear. As a writer, I tend to push the therapy of writing. So pick up your journal or a sheet of paper and a favorite pen and join me in this exercise. For this exercise, you can use full sentences or bullet points, whatever way you can to get those fears and anxieties onto the page. What are the things that keep you from going back to sleep at 3 a.m.? Write freely. Don't worry about spelling or punctuation or grammar. Your third grade teacher is not looking over your shoulder. No one has to see your words. Write honestly. That's important. By writing, you have done two things. You have acknowledged your fears and come face to face with them. And the second thing is that you have unleashed them onto paper so that they are not all tangled in your mind. They are out of you, onto the page. There's something about the page being able to handle or hold your fears. It's like sharing them with a friend. And so the burden of carrying them is not only carried by you, but deposited onto paper. Sometimes the very act of writing things out helps us realize the fears are not as large or seemingly impossible as when we keep them inside our mind. And when we look over what we've written and present them to God, asking him to take them and give us peace in place of fear and confusion, we're able to be calm. We replace the anxiety with the peace of God. Being thankful and keeping a thankful journal are ways that our society have come up with to help us deal with life. There's a lot of talk about being thankful and gratitude and having a gratitude journal. When we notice the things we are grateful for, we can also train our minds to ponder on them and give our minds space to think on them. I think this is part of what Paul was admonishing the church to do. Look around you. Rejoice, he tells us. And if you have nothing to rejoice about because you think your circumstances are too bleak, then look to the Lord and rejoice in him. I think it's always a good practice to remember all that Jesus has done for us. When we make our list of gratitude, 
we can include it all, from the contentment over the cup of coffee that we have in the morning, to the beauty of an iris in the early spring, to salvation and God's love. And as we ponder and fill our minds with this gratitude, our hearts become full of peace. We realize that no matter what troubles come our way, no matter how dark and sorrowful our days may be, we have a reason to rejoice. God of the universe, God of creation, God of Abraham is with us. He has not abandoned us. He wants us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Too often people view God as a thought, not a complete way to live. God becomes someone to call on in time of need or to mention at a wedding ceremony or at a funeral. TV shows display this weak portrayal of what they consider to be religious. But we know that to live with God involves him being in every aspect of our daily lives. We know that faith is strengthened when we draw near to God and he draws near to us. We are told to pray. Entering into the presence of God is how we fill our minds with who God is. As Pastor Callan S. Smith puts it, and I paraphrase, like a piece of meat, we marinate our minds in God. We want the marinade to flavor our minds. It's about soaking our minds in who God is. We can rejoice because we know we belong to God. Let's close together with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, while we are grateful for the gift of thoughts most of the time, too often we feel burdened with our problems and anxious feelings. We ask to soak our minds in your peace. May we continue to think on things that will bring us peace, keeping our minds on you and your goodness. May we seek to guard our minds from slipping into worry and fear. May our faith in you be greater than our fears so that even when we are faced with turmoil, we can experience that peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for all you have done to redeem us and all that you continue to do for us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Shalom.